a profession that is predominantly female and increasingly so, and with a retention crisis, I think there's a very key demographic of women that we need to be supporting and to you know, help them with their career longevity. Roughly half of women veterinary professionals say its impact was moderate to severe on their lives. So why aren't we talking about it more? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today we talk to return guest, Dr. Liz Barton, Head of Communications at VetCT, about a subject that grabbed her attention a few years ago and never quite let go. It's menopause, an issue that half of veterinary professionals surveyed say they worry about, and half of those who felt its effects say they were moderate to severe on their lives. Are we losing female veterinarians in their 40s and 50s at the top of their game because they leave the profession? So, how did the survey come about, Dr. Barton, and what did you find? Let's dig in. I was the board member for the Society of Practicing Veterinary Surgeons at a time when the president was very keen to talk about it. She was a woman of menopausal age, had been through the menopause as a practice leader. So it was very much top of her agenda to start raising awareness about the impacts that hadn't really been talked about before at all in the veterinary industry, to our knowledge. And at the time, I was also uh, editor of a platform called Veterinary Woman, which is a a UK Mm -hmm. website where we discuss issues to help women progress in their careers and thrive in their careers within the veterinary industry. Those two things just really came together. I started looking at awareness days around issues impacting women, and we noticed that there's a, a menopause day in October. And it was nice to actually bring together a survey, the report, and then a a webinar based on some of the early data, um, early outputs from the report to really do a a comprehensive awareness raising piece about the impact on women in the veterinary profession. So that's how the report came about. I think that's curious that she kind of came in with, she was thinking about it and she was hot to dig into it and raise awareness. Because I think in general menopause, I'm a guy, so I don't talk about menopause a lot and I don't think about it for myself very much. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about menopause the way they talk about a lot of other issues that have to do with women's bodies and women's life cycle. I think because it's sort of a natural part, it feels like um, um, menstruation where, oh, it's just a natural thing. And it's a weird thing that happens at a certain age with girls and as they develop into women. But it's totally natural. And so it just kind of gets ignored. Part of your normal body process. It may cause you problems, but it's just normal, just normal. So I think it's interesting I think menopause just gets treated as, oh, it's just normal. It's something women get, so it's something they just deal with individually. So could you tell me maybe a little bit about where that leader and where your survey and where the hope came from shifting that attitude of like, oh, it's just kind of on the person. The women will figure it out. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of taboo around women's health topics. People haven't really wanted to talk about them openly and I think that's very much a cultural thing and it's interesting you allude to menstruation there as well because actually there's a high proportion of women that for example suffer from endometriosis who are impacted throughout their lives um, quite significantly and again we did a, a piece on that because practices that can put things into place that can support women that have challenges around menstruation 
um, again, are supporting their teams better. So I think there's a general women's health taboo. And you're right, I think historically and culturally a lot of it has been around well this is a natural process I mean if you really dig into it is it a natural process because stone age women died you know in their early 40s oh yeah okay so technically we're not evolutionarily supposed to go through menopause our eggs are supposed to last a lifetime this lucky right okay So, yeah, I don't think our bodies are particularly well adapted to it. And the reason I say that is, you know, what's come out in uh, cross-sector data across all sorts of different professions is significant impact on the majority of women, whether that be mild, moderate or severe. There's been numerous studies done in numerous countries and across the board between 75 and 80 percent of women say they've experienced the negative impacts and that to me doesn't sound a particularly natural thing. <laughs> so going back to the question, yeah, the kind of awareness of my particular colleague about, you know, delving into this subject. I think there was also a, a bit of a move in the UK at the time about awareness being raised by certain TV celebrities and media personalities. And there'd been a few other reports among different sectors that had come out. So I think it was starting to be talked about a lot more in the media in the press in general and I think obviously with a a profession that is predominantly female and increasingly so and with a retention crisis I think there's a very key demographic of women that we need to be supporting and could be supporting to you know help them with their career longevity there's actually interesting data from the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons survey that they do of the profession where you look at the percentage of women veterinary surgeons versus men throughout the different ages of their career and you know you look at the sort of the curve which uh, shows a decreasing percentage from around you know 75% down to around 20% from graduation age up to retirement age and that curve has not you know, decreased in its, you know, the, the sort of drop off of the percentage of women working hasn't changed between 2006 and 2018, which were the first and last reports that I could access at the time of the survey. So women are still leaving the profession at the same rate, and we're not doing a lot to support them in longer, more healthy careers. So when I think there has been attention here, I don't know how it was in the UK, you can tell me here in the United States over the past five, six, seven years, As there are more and more women in the profession, there's more and more attention to, hey, we need to think about the fact that these women have issues outside of work, just like the men now. So they've got childcare and people have more complicated work-life balance issues they're trying to think about. And so if you want people, men and women, to stay in their jobs, you need to make more flexible arrangements. So they've started thinking about, well, how do we keep women in when things get complicated, when men and women get married and then start families? And then if they decide, well... They'd make the decision in dual career households, can one career downshift temporarily for some period of time? And so in order, that's a perfectly valid choice. But in order to to sort of forestall that, could we make it easier for people to stay in the profession, but have a more flexible arrangement? But it was all arranged around 20, 30, early 40 men and women with children. And so I haven't, we did not get the attention. So was it like that in the UK? Have you had attention on parenting issues for people in vet med. Yeah, absolutely. There's increasing support for 
you know, for example, parental leave, et cetera, within the vet sector, but that's only come about, you know, very recently as well. It does feel like there's, as a woman, as a vet, I've kind of put my career on hold for about a decade whilst my kids have gone from zero to 10. And I now feel like I'm just beginning to be able to reignite my veterinary career and invest time in personal and career development. And it sort of feels like as soon as that's happening, it feels like there's menopause lurking around the corner like a tiger ready to pounce <laughs> and drag me down again. <laughs> it's definitely something that I now feel having experienced. You know, I'm 43 and since writing the report, I'm aware that I have had symptoms of perimenopause, which I wouldn't necessarily have recognised as symptoms of perimenopause before completing the survey. And I now feel very well empowered and equipped both to help myself and also to have conversations with my employers around how they can help me to stay happy and healthy and working. Because, you know, the sort of mental and physical impacts of the menopause can be very significant for people. And, you know, we have testimonials of how it has impacted careers. So, Absolutely, there needs to be both conversations happening because there are numerous challenging times, you know, within careers. I would say as well, just to caveat that, I know that women who don't plan to have families, for example, can feel frustrated and annoyed and even angered by, you know, the conversations around parenting and around when you're going to start a family and the <laughs> yes. potential for discrimination with promotions and jobs if you're of a certain childbearing age and you maybe got married within the last couple of years. And I know that there is similar feeling around raising awareness and starting to talk more openly about the menopause for those you know, 20, 25% of women for whom the menopause was actually either a breeze or in fact a very positive and liberating experience. And some women say, you know, they've never felt better and they've got a little bit of concern that if we start, you know, harping on about menopause and talking about it all the time, then we kind of make it a thing that people look out for and all, you know, maybe we shouldn't uh, necessarily consider these people for leadership or promotion if they're about to go through the menopause you know <laughs> nosedive <laughs> into despair so we have to make sure this is a very balanced and open discussion that meets the needs of the individual as well maybe we could talk a little bit either you could talk about the sort of things that are the precursor the perimenopause symptoms that you've seen or felt but even more importantly what are some of the symptoms that women might feel as they go through this, and then which ones would be really troubling or inconvenient or uncomfortable at work? There's a delightful array of symptoms, sort of 36, <laughs> I think it is. And some of those are sort of physical impacts, and some of them are sort of mental and psychological and emotional. And there's, there can be a huge impact on, on relationships as well and mental health. But things like obviously people think of the hot flushes as the classic one, but even more common than hot flushes is general fatigue, irritability, difficulty sleeping, poor concentration, things like reduced libido, sore joints and reduced muscle mass. All of these things, even more kind of obvious symptoms like hair loss. There can be more severe things like palpitations as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that can impact just the ability to stay focused and feel confident at work. So, for example, the poor concentration and lack of sleep and fatigue, 
can be really challenging, you know, when you are consulting all day and having to do that sort of quick memory recall and, you know, have be juggling the multiple balls that you have to within veterinary practice. Similarly, things like hot flushes, you know, if you're wearing sort of unforgiving, the old style cotton scrubs that, you know, <laughs> one bead of sweat and everybody would it'd be very visible, you know, just being able to sort of have sympathetic uniform. things. You know, again, for people in large animal and equine practice, things like the joint stiffness and aches and pains, you know, can be a real challenge as well. Just the physical capacity to do the job as well as the um the mental capacity as well. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Again, you exactly as you mentioned, the hot flashes, hot flushes, people feel that's sort of the, the stereotypical thing we think of with menopause. But I noticed in when you did the survey, I went and went and looked at the results. And just as you said, about half of the people said, look, their physical health was barely touched on by menopause, or they're not worried about menopause affecting their home life, their health, their work life. But then half of them said either who had gone through 45% said there was a moderate or severe impact on physical health, and 45% there was a moderate or severe impact on their mental health. And I don't know, both those coming in concert, it's a bit like I've gone through periods of chronic pain and also where you can't sleep. And so if you're having trouble sleeping and then you're in pain regularly, and then also your mind is betraying you, you're more anxious than usual, you're prone to get more depressed and be more irritable. It is just a horrendous cocktail. Anybody going through anything big in their life, it's like a cocktail anybody could relate to. Again, it feels very much like, well, this is a thing going on with you and your body. So this is something you need to manage. And I'm wondering if you've seen any change in that where the, the onus is not just on the individual to manage their changing body and their medical condition and the symptoms, but maybe the organization starts taking action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's things that we can do as individuals, you know, seeking help, seeking treatment. And I would absolutely counsel everybody to watch the, the free menopause webinar, which is available on the Veterinary Women website which is by an expert gynecologist that talks people through the fact that there are much better therapies available these days and that, you know, there's a very important window in which we have to access those. So I think that kind of general raising of awareness that there are things that can support us much better and the earlier we access the help and support, the less impact there will be. 
But there are also some very practical and helpful things that practices can do. And actually, interestingly enough, as I was writing up this report, the British Medical Association also published the findings of a much larger survey of general practitioners, doctors, uh, medical doctors in the UK, which so spookily mirrored the data that we obtained and they had made some recommendations on what workplaces could do and so I sort of looked at those and adapted those across to the veterinary workplace as well. One of them is things like access to flexible working um, to help make symptoms more manageable, adjustments to the workplace which could improve room ventilation, um, easier access to toilet facilities because your bladder go can go as well, you know, making sure there's easy access to drinking water and rest breaks, obviously with our profession as well, help with heavy lifting and adjustment of the physical workload to support people that are experiencing joint pain or dizziness. And, you know, one of their recommendations was workplace support for mental health and well-being. And I'd extend that to say physical health as well, um, to recognise and support the the need for, you know, specialist support and advice, not just from GP medical doctors who maybe aren't clued up on the latest um, sort of research with the menopause, but, you know, with sort of gynaecology experts as well, women's health experts that can really give that up-to-date advice and support. And the other one is developing an inclusive culture. So addressing any taboos or sexist and ageist behaviours for women of menopausal age and improving the understanding of the impacts of menopause whilst fostering that sort of no-blame culture as well. Have you seen, after you know, thinking about this before the survey, doing the survey, presenting the survey, you know, trying to do your part in awareness. Have you seen yourself anywhere in the practice groups or practices or how people are talking about this or dealing with this or hearing in, I don't know, online groups or from your colleagues? Does anything seem like it's shifting more? Did some people think, oh, it was a wake up call for them individually to kind of, you know, take control of the situation before or during it happening and kind of be braver in the workplace to tell people that they're, they might struggle with this. And then also on the other side, the people, as you said, trying to create an inclusive culture where you're, you're more free to talk about this and they're, they're sensitive to these needs. Have you seen any positive change? I'm delighted to say yes to that. Oh, good. And it has only been in the last couple of months. I have no idea whether or not they've read the report. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Vets Now, who is one of the emergency critical care corporate groups in the UK, they actually have developed a support program for their team. There are also individual practices that have been in the veterinary press um, that have become menopause-friendly workplaces. Again, sort of providing that support, having that open conversation and make sure it's part of the the culture to support women of menopausal age. So, you know, it is starting to happen. In addition to that, there's a a research group at the University of Edinburgh that are doing some government-funded research called Stay Healthy at Work. And this is based on looking at factors that impact people later in their careers so people from the ages of sort of 40 to 65 the researchers looked at different sectors not veterinary initially and published the outcomes and said that menopause had emerged as a really strong theme and their second phase of their research is to develop and pilot workplace interventions to support people later in their careers in workplaces so I got on the phone to them having seen this (laughs) and uh, I'm delighted to say that they're now in 
discussions with the veterinary organisations in the UK to look at when they release their their phase two interventions to actually start piloting those within veterinary practices. And we've just secured a slot at the London Vet Show to present their data and hopefully try and recruit some practices to get involved in that research and actually see if we can get some some data behind interventions that might make a difference. You know, you mentioned the recommendations made by the British Medical Association, and I want to dig into those a little later, but I want to go into one of them right now because some of the things feel like they're easy enough to say. So it's like with the mental health awareness that's happened. I don't know if it's happened in the UK, but it's happened in the US where everyone superficially and well-intentioned, so they've broken the taboo. Everyone's talking about it, right? You come out and you talk about your mental health issues. You come out and talk about your physical struggles. If you have uh, physical health issues, we're breaking the taboo. And inclusive language and include you in like, in our language, we're trying to be inclusive. So switching the language, no problem. Support for mental health and well-being, that's easy. You just get an EAP, an employee assistance program. You're done with that. Adjustments to the workplace, well, I don't know, we've already got AC, I mean, some extra fans, making sure you're near a bathroom, making sure everybody takes their break. The one that seemed hard out of all five of the British Medical Association recommendations was, it was called access to flexible working. And you mentioned that, and I'm wondering, because as, as again, as I've had periods where I've dealt with chronic pain, I've realized there's certain work 10 years ago, I couldn't have done it as long as I used to, or I can't do it as comfortably anymore. And so that's what the issue is. There's things that you could push yourself to do, but maybe they're not good for you and they're not comfortable. What does access to flexible working, what do you imagine that looking like at a standard veterinary practice? I mean, it varies for each individual and it varies for each practice setting. And this is part of a wider piece. Don't get me started on flexible working because this is part of a wider (laughs) piece about do we have to mould our veterinary team members into the traditional model of veterinary practice as it always has been in years gone by or do we have to reimagine what veterinary practice looks like to suit modern veterinary professionals and keep a healthy and happy working team? So I would flip the question on its head a bit and almost say to the individual, you know, what do you think would work for you? Obviously, it's really difficult to predict because often, you know, things like hot flushes and these symptoms, the sleeplessness is variable. And you can't say, well, next Tuesday, I'm going to have a really bad night's sleep (laughs) and be all hot flushy all day. But I think having that conversation around, you know, all my symptoms seem to be worse in the afternoon. So maybe I could work mornings and you know, these things go in phases and periods. So being able to build in that conversation around what's working for you at different times, do we need to flex that? Flexible working can also be, you know, is surgeries more difficult or is consulting more difficult? You know, do we need to change the type of work? Should we look at increasing the access to maybe working remotely through telemedicine or through uh, home-based admin, for example? So, you know, it's a very individual conversation, but there are lots of different ways of adapting veterinary practice working life to suit individual needs. It obviously just varies according to the circumstances. But I think if we are going to ensure that we retain our talent, you know, at the five-year itch, the 10-year parenting struggle, the the 30-year, you know, uh, <laughs> menopause, then we do have to start reimagining the way we design our practice working days to better suit the needs of the workforce. I love the fact that you flipped down on its head because I think typically what happens is 
the first step, again, breaking the taboo, being inclusive, being understanding about people's physical and mental struggles means, at least to here in the States, the first step is, well, if you need to take time off or you need to take a day or you need to take a sick day or a mental health day, go ahead and do that, which means either you can either work the job as it is laid out here every day or we're okay with you not working the job as it's laid out every day. But if you can't do it, that job exactly as it's written, then it's better if you just stay home. And I see what you're saying, which is, what if that person could work and do something at the practice and it would still be valuable, but it's just not what the typical understanding of what, if you are a veterinarian on duty, this is what you have to do if you are in these walls, being a little more flexible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just sticking to the traditional model of, you know, what a vet should be capable of doing for, you know, a 10 hour shift, five, six days a week, as you say, is, is very restrictive to to those people right. that are able and capable of doing that. Uh, you know, there's unprecedented pressures on veterinary workloads, you know, across the globe. I think there just seems to be a crisis wherever you speak to people, everybody's trying to recruit, not just for, you know, veterinary veterinarian roles, but also for vet techs and vet nurses and even things like receptionists and support staff. <laughs> there just seems to be a real lack across the board. And I think it is because it's a demanding job. And if we can reimagine it to make it less demanding, to split different roles out, then maybe we are increasing it. Well, we surely are increasing the accessibility to more people to stay in, stay in the profession in a way that works for them and works for the practice and enables us to serve the clients in the way they want to be served. You know, many clients would rather do more remotely than sort of keep coming back into the practice as well. You know, the the culture and society that we work in is changing as well. I think there would be, you know, I really want to see a reimagining of the way that, that vet practices operate and uh, I don't think we're going to find an easy way out of this crisis otherwise. <laughs> Learn more in an on-demand webinar and read the study at veterinarywoman.co.uk and search menopause. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know I appreciate you.